Colossians chapter number 1. Colossians chapter number 1. I am going to continue, as the Lord leads me, on the subject of pride. And I have found that as I study this subject, that there are so many layers of it. And uh, gosh, it just comes upon us, you know. And, and you think that you got, you got it dealt with and then... Something happens and you realize that uh, there's a whole lot more in you than you, that you certainly want. Because if your heart's desire is to fellowship with God, to walk in the Spirit, and, and to fellowship with God, you know that you have to deal with the pride that's in your heart and in your life. Because God hates pride and God resists the proud. And so if you, if you get some of that up in you, then you're going to find God pushing back on you. Instead of drawing nigh to you, He's going to push back on you. I don't want that. I need God every single day of my life to help me to make it through the day. And I want you to look with me in Colossians 1. And I'm going to start here. Then we're going to go to the Old Testament and, and study this morning pride and its origination. I want you to look with me in chapter number 1 and verse number 12. The Bible says here, and, and listen, you ought to read this and study this and memorize these passages and thank God every day for your benefits that you have in Christ. The Bible says in verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father. See, these blessings don't change. These are things that God did for you, which made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. I am blessed with an inheritance. Verse 13. Who, talking about God the Father, through Jesus Christ, hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Who, talking about the Lord Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things, now remember that as we go into the latter part of the message, all things created. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. If it is invisible, it does not mean that it's imaginary. Just because you cannot see it, feel it sometimes, doesn't mean that it does not exist. I cannot see the wind, but I can at least feel the wind. I can see the results of the wind. I understand the presence of the wind, but it's invisible. And I want to focus on that part there about the invisible. We said, whether it be thrones... Because what we see in the material world, what we see in the, you might say, the terrestrial world, some of these very same things exist in the invisible and the celestial world. We have a hard time understanding that, that there's another dimension around us. Like when Elijah said, Lord, would you open the eyes of my servant? And the Lord opened his eyes and, and around the horizon he could see that there were chariots of fire on the horizon because he could not see that until the Lord opened his eyes. And so the Bible says here that there are thrones and dominions or principalities or powers. When you see political hierarchies in the world, behind those political hierarchies are influences. And there are demonic influences behind them. It says, and all things, but look, all things were created by Him and for Him. Do you believe that? Okay. And He is before all things. Do you believe that? Okay, and by Him all things consist. Now the Scripture says in Revelation 4.11, For Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Okay, now turn with me please to Ezekiel chapter number 28. Let's study this morning the origination of pride. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter number 28. Sometimes the scriptures will start off addressing a man and then it will move on 
and go beyond that man and begin to describe the entity that's behind the influence of that man. And you'll find that true here in Ezekiel 28. He's not talking just to the king of Tyre here. He is going to begin to describe to you the devil, Satan, Lucifer. Okay? Now we know that whereas by one man sin entered into the world. And that was Adam. But the original sin of the universe and the invisible is here and it has to do with pride and it has to do with the adversary that we know as Lucifer or Satan or the devil. And he's done a pretty good job of covering up what he really is. And if you don't know your Bible, you really don't understand that he really can transform himself into an angel of light. And he can come across as a minister of righteousness. His goal is to deceive. And so I realized this morning as I prayed and studied for this message that I am no match for him. Apart from Christ and the Holy Ghost and the Word of God, I am no match for him. There are people who try to tell the devil what to do every day. But without Christ, you have no opportunity to do anything with him. And so I understand that. So I'm trying to be careful this morning. I want to be sensitive to the Spirit of God, and I want to help you. My goal is not to inform you about the devil. My, my goal this morning is, is to inform you about pride. That's my goal. And if it can take him down, it can take me down. It can take you down. And I want you to look in Ezekiel chapter number 28 with me, please. First of all, I'm going to give you three very simple thoughts here. I like to try to keep them simple so it'll help you remember them throughout the day and the week. Number one, I want you to remember the devil. I want you to not focus on him. I want you to remember the devil. He was set up for success. God does not set you up for failure. God sets you up for success. He gives you what you need to be able to do His will. You understand? If He's called you to do something, if He's created you to do something, if He's made you for that purpose, He has set you up to succeed at what you are and what He wants you to be. And so um, I pray that you'll understand this. Now look, first of all, I want you to look at His beauty. Ezekiel 28, because this guy is going to be right up against the throne of God in the very presence of God continually. Ezekiel 28, look at this. Look in verse number 19. He said, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect or complete in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold. Have you ever seen that uh, round ball on New Year's Eve that drops down in New York City uh, when when it's time for New Year's to come? You know how that thing just sparkles and turns and you can see different colors blasting off of that round ball? It appears to me that this guy, when he would just walk, he would just sparkle. That he was a beautiful, you understand, an amazingly beautiful creature. And God has him there and created him. Remember what we read in Colossians 1? Everything that's been created was by him and for him. Okay? And so here he is. And notice the last part of that verse, and it says... The workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Would you agree with me? The devil is a created being. And he is a magnificent being here in, in his beauty. Dr. J. White, J. Dwight Pentecost said this about what I just read to you about these pipes. He said, musical instruments were originally designed to be means of praising and worshiping God. 
It was not necessary for Lucifer to learn to play a musical instrument in order to praise God. If you please, he had a built-in pipe organ. That's what the prophet meant when he said, The workmanship of thy tabors and of thy pipes. Lucifer, because of his beauty, did what a musical instrument would do in the hands of a skilled musician. Bring forth a praise to the glory of God. Lucifer did not have to look for someone to play the organ so that he could sing the doxology. He was the doxology. And so the Bible says here that in his beauty and his blessings, he's next to the throne. He's a cherubim. You have seraphims. Six-winged creatures, the cherubims, and you have the angels. The cherubims were the same guys that were there at the Garden of Eden when Adam was kicked out and had the flaming sword at the beginning of the garden. They guarded the Garden of Eden so that man could not come in. And so he was not only a, a cherubim, but he was an anointed cherub that covereth, as if he was the one who was to guard the praise of God and the glory of God and the worship of God. He was the first worship leader, you might say. And that was his place, that was his purpose in creation. And God set him up to succeed. But God is not in the robot business. God gives every of his creatures a will. And he wants you to worship him because you choose to worship him. And the Bible says here that You'll notice it says in verse number 14, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou was upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. Wow. Verse 17, look at that. Thine heart was lifted up. Now what is that? That's pride. Success can cause your heart to be lifted up. More than persecution and poverty, success can be one of your greatest temptations. The Bible says, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness, and I will cast thee to the ground. Turn with me to Isaiah 14 real quick, please. Let's look at this. I want you to remember him, and I want to move on and talk about something else, all right? Look with me in Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14. Would you agree with me that pride is our greatest and most subtle enemy? And yet humility is our greatest a most elusive friend. The Bible says here in Isaiah 14, again, it describes to us, we saw His beauty, we saw His blessings. Man, what an awesome opportunity to be able to just be around God all the time. Not to be sent on journeys, but to be there with Him, worshiping Him, and honoring Him and His very presence. The Bible says that God dwells between the cherubims. Did you know that? He does. But I want you to notice not only His beauty and His blessings, but I want you to notice His blindness. Isaiah 14, the Bible says here, if you'll pick up with me there, in verse number 12. The Bible says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, thou didst weaken the nations. For thou hast said in thine what? In your heart. Would you agree with me that that's where pride starts? It starts in your thought life, in your heart, and in your mind. That nobody can see, but it's eventually going to work its way out if you don't catch a hold of it and kill it, put it down, humble yourself, it's going to leak out. And, and it's going to leak out probably, first of all, through your mouth. It's the proud heart that speaks arrogant things. It's the haughty spirit that says things that they ought not say about themselves. The Bible says here, look in verse number 
13, he said, he says, I will. And brother, I'm just going to tell you now, I want to help every one of us, including myself, is that you can tell immediately when pride begins to enter into your heart is when you no longer are, are, you might say, thy will be done. You're saying, my will be done. And you're saying, this is what I will do. And he says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. That's El Elyon. That is the strength of God. That is the Most High God, the Most Powerful God. He wasn't interested in that side of God that is good, compassionate, and loving, and kind, and gracious, and merciful, and, and, and feeding the sheep. He wanted the power of God the throne of God. And a lot of people want authority without the responsibility. They really do. And the Bible says here that he said in verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. I believe that pride is birthed in the thoughts of the heart. Self-willed ambition turned Lucifer into Satan from a cherub into a devil from an asset into an adversary, I think his prominence turned into a desire for preeminence. And God will give you some honor. He'll honor, give honor to whom honor is due. He will lift up the lowly. And he may give you some prominence with men, but he will never give you, never give you the preeminence among men. And in the church, the same. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who is the head of the church. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who is the preeminent one to be served and worshipped in your heart and mind in the assembly. And so I want you to see what I want you, just want you to remember. Listen, the Bible says as the, as the finding pot is for silver and as the, as the furnace is for gold, so is a man to his praise. All right, now, praise is going to tell me something about you and me. Can we stand it when somebody else is praised? Now, you watch. I I, I can watch just young boys. When you start bragging on one of them, you watch what the rest of them start doing. When you, how do you respond to praise. Do you deflect it toward God? And how are you when somebody else, ladies, when, when, when another woman's name is brought up and somebody really brags on them? In your heart, do you rejoice that that happened for them? Or do in your heart, do you become envious and jealous and critical of that woman? Well, you just don't know her like I know her. You understand? And so what happened with the devil was he says, look, I'm sick and tired of him getting all this glory. I deserve some of this, you know. And he forgot in his mind that he was a creature, not the creator. And he refused to stay in his place. You want the blessings from God. You have to remember who and what you are and stay in your place. Not be haughty and assume that you should be in another place. And I'm telling you, you got to remember, you got to remember the devil about some of these things. Then I want you to turn quickly with me. Hurry. Look in 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at this. The first point I want you to remember is remember the devil. Just remember him. Remember him. Set up to succeed next to God. And yet he fell because he let pride enter into his heart. He began to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. He began to assume things that he ought not assume. And he wanted some things that were never, never, ever, ever made for him to have. Can I accept that? I hope you can. I hope you won't let ambition and personal pride and self-will and the world fill you so full of yourself that you think it's always got to be about you and your way and your will. Look in First Peter with me, please, in chapter number 5. Number 1, I want you to remember the devil. Number 2, I want you to recognize the devil. Recognize the devil. When I was in Montana last week, I purchased a book 
and read it on the airplane, most of it on the airplane, about the men who settled that country. I admire these men that were so tough that settled this country back in the 1800s. And, and uh, they were just mountain men. And like Lewis and Clark, when they paved away uh, to the West Coast, man, what a tremendous uh, testimony of man's strong will and spirit. And some of those men that survived uh, the wild and the, uh, the, the animals and the Indians and things of that nature. The man, the man that was writing in this particular story that I was reading, he said, you had to pay attention continually of everything that went on around you. He said, even if a twig was coming down the river, he said, you had to find out, did that twig fall on its own? Or did a man knock that twig off and there's someone up there that I need to know about? Every sound, every movement, it either meant life or it meant death. And you had to be sober and vigilant at all times or you would be dead meat in no time. Now look what he says here in 1 Peter chapter 5. Some of you so underestimate this invisible enemy that absolutely hates our Heavenly Father, despises our Lord Jesus Christ. And because He hates them, He hates you. And the Bible says here in verse number 8, He says, be sober. Be sober. That simply means be very serious about this. Not somber. Sober. Not sad. Sober. Be sober. Be vigilant. Watchful. Attentive. Looking. Always. Because your adversary, he is not just the Lord's adversary, he is our adversary because we are sons of God. Remember what you read in Colossians chapter number 1? You were delivered from the power of darkness and you were translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Now when that happened, you became an enemy of the devil. And he says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You have to recognize the adversary. Now, in our, the text in which this is written, and listen, I had to kind of restrain myself not to get too far into helping you concerning the subject of the devil. That's not my goal. My goal is to help you with the subject of pride. Remember that. But you got to recognize him because you see, here's the way he works. His goal is, is to get you in a position to where that you are in a position that God will oppose you. Where that God will resist you. And the reason he knows in order to do that, he's got to allure you and seduce you or work on you in this area of your pride. See, but he, he believes the Bible. He believes that God will resist the proud. He believes that God will know the proud afar off. And he knows that eventually, sometimes, God even has to destroy the proud. That's why he, the Bible says that he provoked David to number Israel. He told David, he whispered in his ear, in his heart, he said, why don't you count and see how many soldiers you got? How many men you have? And Joab went up to him and said, don't do this. This ain't right. You know better. The couple of times that David sinned very seriously, that affected other people greatly, God always sent a way for him to escape. With Bathsheba, he did. Sent him away to escape. The servant said, hey, don't you know that's another man's wife? And all you need to escape a temptation is for somebody to get your mind off what you're pursuing. And go a different direction. Well, he, he talked David, he provoked David. He tempted David, provoked him. And what the adversary does, he will some, do something that provokes you. That causes that, and it's in you. It'll come up. And you'll... Listen, God wanted David and the, and the nation of Israel to trust in Him no matter if they had a hundred soldiers, a hundred thousand soldiers. He wanted them to trust Him to fight the battles. God did not want them depending on the arm of the flesh. God wanted them to depend on the arm of the Lord. 
And David said, I'm going to count them anyway. You know how many men died as a result of the angel of God coming and smiting that army because of David's pride? 70,000 men died as a result of an angel with a sword from heaven that killed those soldiers. And God was reducing the number of his army to show him that you can't count on the number of soldiers that you have. You count on me. You say, that's pretty severe. God usually, God's a good father. He's very good at what he does. And he teaches us lessons we don't forget very easily. You know, if you're always, if you're always, always continually hitting on a child, spanking on a child all the time for every little thing that he does, then the, the, the things that really matter, just where he doesn't really react to it anymore. But if you give him something that he'll remember, he said, mm, I don't think I want to do that again. You understand? Make it fewer and more severe, and you want to do it as often and, and lightly. I'm just saying. Okay? And I have some traumatic experiences in my life at the hand of my father that lasted for a lifetime. First Peter chapter 5. Let me show you about recognizing the adversary. I want to use a, a very simple illustrations here, or should I say alliterations here. I want to use the word aversions, first of all. Aversions. That word means a reluctance or a dislike, and even a hatred for what pleases God. And in our text, you'll notice something here, that he, he goes to chapter 5, verse 1. He talks to the elders, guys who have been placed in leadership. And he says, the elders which are among you, in chapter 5, verse 1, I exhort, who am also an elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. He says, here's here's your responsibility, here's your place. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. And what he's saying to those men is, do not avoid your responsibilities. And do not remove yourself from your place. You stay in your place. Even if you are reluctant to do so. Even if sometimes you don't like what's going on. And sometimes it's going to have to be duty over desire. Now let's translate this also now over into a wife with her husband. Let's translate this also with a teenager, also with his mother and father. Let's translate this with an employee with his employer. God's will is, is that you learn how to yield yourself and submit yourself and stay in your place and do your duty and do it delightfully as unto the Lord. And not to be reluctant and hesitant and despise what God has asked you to do as if it is a menial task in what God has called you to do. It'd be like a fish being envious of a bird and a bird envious of a fish. God said, listen, I made you the way you are and I'll set you up to succeed. If you'll stay in your place and do your job and yield yourself to God, we'll fellowship and I'll bless you and you'll bless me. That's the way this works. My responsibility to you is to feed you and to lead you and to do so willingly and, and to do so cheerfully, of a ready mind, not for monetary value, but for, can I say, eternal value. Yes, but look in verse number 3. Now you see where that sometimes all of the, the areas that I just mentioned, it is possible for you to impose your will on other people. The Bible says in verse 3, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. Neither as being lords over God's heritage. That's lordship, pastoring you might say, but it leaks out in all areas. I've read that sometimes uh, pride gets in our hearts and we think that because we have some people that are, that might be in, or supposed to be under subjection to us, that we have the right to dictate everything to them that is a preference to us as if they are serving us and not the Lord. Ladies, if you'll submit yourself to your husband as unto the Lord, it's a whole lot easier. 
And fellas, you've got to remember that, that you have some responsibilities that go with that, that you can't abuse. I guess what you're saying is, I'm saying here is, is that sometimes folks um, avoid their place, and then there are people who abuse their place. You don't want to be in either one of those. Recognize the adversary because that's going to cause contention. It's going to cause discouragement. It's going to cause division. When you get out of your place above or underneath, it creates that situation. You'll notice that uh, the Bible says here, notice the words that he uses here. Look in verse 5. Again, we're talking about subjection. How often he uses that. Look in verse 5. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves. You see that? Look in verse 5. Okay, all of you be, what's the next word? Subject one to another. So the word aversion is that you're avoiding these places. And what God's will is for your life. You have an aversion for it. When that starts coming up in you, you can rest assured the devil's messing with you. He's messing with you. If you abuse your position, if you avoid your position, the devil's messing with you. You got to remember Lot's wife. She wouldn't listen. And she did not like what God's will was. And they warned her, hey, don't do that. But she did what she was told not to do. And she became a pillar of salt. You know, subjection and submission and humility, to some people, those words are like vinegar. For those who want to walk with God, they're like sweet tea. Give me some more of it. Show me what you want me to do. And when I run out of it, Lord, give me some more. If you want to walk with God, that you're going to have to have some humility in your heart. And by the way, humility is not you feeling less about yourself. It's you submitting yourself to God. It's you saying, thy will and not my will. It's really that simple. Lord, I don't, I don't want to submit myself to Him today. But do you want to fellowship with God? And if you want to fellowship with God, you say, Lord, if you'll give me grace... Lord, I'll do what I'm supposed to do because I want to fellowship with you. I'll let you take care of him. And God will in his time. The second word is arrogance. The word arrogance is assuming and being presumptuous and being haughty. That's why he says in verse number 5, he says, Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Is it possible that maybe the aged might know a little bit more than you? Should we have teenagers in the White House while they know everything? I'll tell you what, some of the folks that are in the White House don't know much either. Amen? Amen. Likewise, you younger, submit yourself to the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Is there a problem in our hearts in subjecting ourselves one to another? And a simple thing like maybe coming up next Saturday and painting there in the Sunday school room. Can you imagine if we let everybody bring their own can of paint, their favorite color? Can you imagine what it would be like if Brother Dwayne, he's in charge there, and he says, here's what I need you to do. And somebody says, I don't think we'll do it that way. I think we'll do this. And I mean, then you got another guy that speaks up, another woman speaks up, and man, you've got chaos. But if you want to come to be a blessing, you have to come to serve. And servants say, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And so the Bible says here, listen, this thing about arrogance, please listen carefully to me to East River Baptist Church. This is not for our visitors. This is for our church family. You have to be very careful in this area about assuming, being presumptuous, and being haughty. We all do. His own men argued behind him of which one of them was the greatest, which one of them was number one, which one of them was going to be promoted. Which one was going to sit by his right hand? They even argued about it. And the Lord Jesus gave them a good chewing out about it. We're going to have to make some changes. Brother Ed and Miss Debbie, they covered a lot of bases. And a lot of folks are going to have to step up and fill some voids. All right? And so, who's going to lead the nursery? Who's going to take care of Sunday school where they were working? Who's going to work in Master Club where they were working? 
who's going to be filling the finance committee position where they were, he was serving. And security, leading that. All of those things. Thank you, Brother Ed, for all the places that you did cover. Man of many abilities. Some of you in your heart may think, well, are ladies? Well, I think it ought to be me. Now, you need to get that thought out of your heart. When Brother Dwayne sets up his new teachers, Sunday school classes, master club workers, what if, what if he feels led to put you in another classroom? Well, Brother Roger, I think I've earned, I've earned, and, and I think I deserve to be in such a place, such a place. Maybe you have. Maybe you really have. And maybe he missed it. Maybe he did. Don't be angry with him. Don't be angry with me. Don't be angry at your church. Just say, okay, Lord, you're teaching me something right here. And God, right here is an opportunity to exercise some humility and to subject myself to you and let you work it out in your own timing. Let God, I'm going to trust you to exalt me. If if that time comes, when I say exalt, I'm talking about promote. God, I'm going to trust you for the timing of when I'll be doing this or this or this because I think that's what you want me to do. I've got a, I've got a teenage boy who is just chomping at the bits. He's about, he's, I think he's 13. Is Gavin 13? He's 12. He thinks he's 17. He's 12. He wants to drive my truck. And he's always asking, can I pull the boat up out of the water? Or can I put, can I do this? I said, okay, hold on. The other day we was getting the boat out of the shop. I said, uh, had, it, had, it straight, had everything straight. All he had to do was just pull it straight out about maybe 50 feet. And he said, he said can, can, can I do it? Can I do it? I said, all right, I'm going to let you pull it out. I said, you ain't got to do anything but just keep your foot on the brake. That's all. I said, the accelerator, it, it's, it, it's, it's high enough. You don't have to do nothing. Just keep your foot on the brake. And he, you know, he's, he thinks he can do it, just like some of you. One of the first, you know, they, they got this term going around now called church hurt. You heard that phrase, church hurt? Yeah, that's one of the, that new millennium, I got hurt at church. Oh, man, you poor thing. <laughs> I, you probably got hurt at work, but you didn't quit your job. <laughs> okay, so where was I at? Yeah, Gavin, Gavin, was, Gavin was fixing to get in there. I remember my first church hurt. That's what I was getting to. Is that they they the church where I went to was a, was a uh, they had a lot of committees and they had this selection committee for the teachers you know many women that were on this committee they were selecting all the Sunday school teachers and I was involved in everything master excuse me church children's church bus ministry everything else I mean visitation whatever it was I was in it okay so in me when they got ready for them to pick the next teacher for the teenagers I like working with the youth and they liked me and I said well it'll be me. This, this school year, it'll be me in that position. This is what I'm telling myself. I didn't tell nobody else that. It's me. And so when the names came out and I wasn't on the list, I said, this ain't right. <laughs> but you know what? They were right. You know why they were right? Because I wasn't ready. And when you want something too bad, you ain't ready. You ain't ready. You aren't ready. So Gavin gets in the truck, and uh, he can't even get it cranked. I said, you're going to have to press the brake, son. Press the brake, because it won't crank without your foot on the brake. So he cranks it. And so he's used to moving his mom and dad's vehicles. They got Toyotas. And so (laughs) this is a Ford, American-made truck, okay? And so he puts his hand up there on the the gear set. God! I said, don't tear it up. I said, it will come down. I said, press the brake and pull up on it a little bit. So he finally pulls it down and gets it in drive. Now, he's in the truck. I'm not in the truck. I'm standing right beside him. Okay? And, and, And I'm just, okay, just keep your foot on the brake. And so let it off real easy. So he lets off the brake. And it starts going pretty fast. Coming out of there. He hits the brake and the boat goes this way and the truck goes that way. And I said, that's all right, all right. So we, he jerked the boat out. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? And, and so we picked at him about it that day. And, and, but I'm just saying he thought he was ready. 
but he wasn't. And I'm saying that you and I, many times, we think we're ready for something. I'm going to tell you something about ministry in a church. You can think that you're ready, but you don't really know how you're being perceived by everybody around you. And, and when God gets ready to elevate you, He'll let you find favor, not only with Him, but with others. Don't get your feelings hurt. That's your pride. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It's your pride. And so if you don't sometimes get advanced and you feel like you've paid your dues, God is still working on you. And if you'll humble yourself, stay close to God. Don't get sideways on God. And don't walk out of here and say, and I experienced church hurt at East River Baptist Church. (laughs) Seriously, don't do that. Because if you did that, it would hurt us. It would hurt us. And so I pray that you'll recognize him and, and, and be ready for the changes that we have to make uh, here in the assembly. I'm, and, and there's some things that will need to be done. And I'm going to ask some of you to, as a church as a whole, to select some people. And so it will be, it'll, be, it'll be up to you, and I'll give you, I'll tell, talk to you more about that at another time. But the last one I need to meet, talk to you about recognizing the devil is this thing called accusatory. Aversions, arrogance, and accusatory. There's nothing that the devil loves more than slandering and accusing. I'm talking about the word devil comes from the word diablos, and it is the word slanderer. Misrepresenting someone. You can do that. By not telling all the facts. You can do that by insinuating something, implying something, telling part of the truth. But what you, your goal is, is to undermine in somebody else's mind the value of that person. And if you're doing that, God is going to begin to resist you. And the adversary is at work in your life. Nehemiah had to deal with that continually while he rebuilt the walls. That that goes guy Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, they were always lying about Nehemiah. I mean, putting it out publicly that he was guilty of things that he was not guilty of. And that's when you know the devil gets involved in a church. Did you know that that two places that's mentioned uh, concerning a deacon's wife? It's always connected to women, but not they're not the only ones guilty of this. So don't take it that way. I don't mean it that way. 1 Timothy 3.11 talks about the deacon's wife, that she must not uh, be a slanderer. And it is important that the aged women, not just the, the deacon's wife, but also the aged women, that they not be false accusers. Because they're more apt to talk about things that are going on with other women and the church and ministries and things. And, and many times it's positive and it's good and it's right and it promotes good things. But occasionally somebody gets sideways, envious and jealous. And they begin to imply and say things that are simply not true. And it sure does hurt families. That's real church hurt there. And it hurts ministries. And you forget about yourself. I'm talking about you forget about your church and you think about yourself. That's why against a pastor, against leadership, the Bible says don't even receive an accusation without two or three witnesses. Which means that it's, it seems like it's pretty easy to do and pretty common thing. And you're going to knock in the head and say, hey, I'll tell you what. If you really think that happened, if you really think Brother Roger said that, if you really think he did that, let's go see him. Let's go talk to him. Oh, no, no, no. I ain't getting no he No, no. What it means is, look at that person. You mean, you're a liar, aren't you? You're trying to start something, aren't you? Hmm? You're sowing discord. That's what the devil does. And it comes from pride because you're not getting something you want. You're not about treated the way you think you ought to be. And so it's, it's sort of like a kid who can't get everything he wants in the nursery, so he's going to kick every other kid and tear every toy up so nobody gets anything. Right. Last of all, look in chapter 5. I need to hurry here. 
look in chapter 5 and look with me in verse number 9. You need to remember him, you need to recognize him, and you must resist him. Look in verse 9. Whom, and he is a whom. He's not a what. He's a whom. Whom, resist. How? Steadfast in the faith. You're going to have to strive against him. James 4 verse 7 says that if you'll submit yourself to God, and then you'll be able to resist the devil. Without submission, you won't have the power to get him out of your life. I don't want him in my life. I don't want there to be division in my family. I love my wife. I love fellowshipping with her. I don't want there to be any contention between me and Cindy. I don't want there to be any contention between me and Nathan and the girls and my son-in-laws and my grandsons. I like unity and harmony in my family. And when it occurs, somebody's gotten sideways somewhere with pride. And you've got to start taking some steps to try to fix that if you can, to get him out. You've got to get to the root of it. And the problem is, if you've got somebody who's not interested in there being peace and harmony, then you really got some issues and problems. That snare of the devil, though, talking about that not being a novice as a preacher, lest you be following the same condemnation of the devil, that's where God begins. When you fall in the snare of the devil, God's resisting you. God's not going to use you. He's not going to fellowship with you. He's not going to allow you to have His peace anymore. Or or the power of God on your life, you're not going to have it. You see, pride robs you of all of that stuff. It's not about the devil. It's about pride. It's about our hearts. And I want to resist him when he starts sneaking around my place and in my heart. Is it possible? Is it possible that I can recover myself? If I fall in the snare of the devil, is it possible that I can recover myself out of his snares? How can I do that? Acknowledge the truth. But before you acknowledge the truth, he said you've got to quit opposing yourself. You know what that means? Quit shooting yourself in the foot. Quit doing things that are stupid that God hates and that God resists. Quit doing things that the Lord doesn't like. You have to quit opposing yourself. You said, oh God, I want you to use me. Oh God, I want your power. Oh God, I want your peace. Okay, then quit doing things that oppose that. Humble yourself to the Lord. Every one of us has got to do the same thing. We've got to give the Lord the first part of each, each day. Give him the first part of each day. Give him the first day of the week. Amen. Give him the first part of every major decision that you make. Give him the first part of every part of the first fruits of your income when God blesses you. And you just watch how God begins to help because what you're doing, those are acts of humility. If you want to be humble, then you have to do acts of humility. If you want to clothe yourself with humility, that's an attitude. Every morning that you, well, this morning, most of you picked out your own clothes. You said, this is what I'm going to wear today. And you purposely put them on. And God is saying, I want you of your own free will, of your own heart, when you get up in the morning, I want you to put on the clothes of humility and I want you to walk out that door or dwell in that house with an attitude of gratitude and an attitude of humility. Boy, the adversary, when he was beside God, when he was Lucifer, when he was the angel of the morning, the star of the morning, when he, when he was there, man, he had it made. He was blessed. And when he came to Eve in the garden, he said, you know, surely you're not satisfied with this. There's more to it. God's holding back on you. If you'll just take of that fruit that he forbid you to do, listen, you'll, you'll know more, you'll see more, you'll experience more. Your, your destiny lies before you. Some of you will never be content. You're continually discontented no matter how much you have or what you do or who you're with or whatever because you just can't accept the fact that this is your place and God's created you for this purpose and you can't be content with pleasing him. I'm not against ambition. I think you ought to have some drive. I think you ought to want some things in life. But turn that over. Let it be underneath the yoke that Christ has placed upon you. 
and do God's will. Let's stand together, please. God says, if you will, quit opposing yourself, listen to this, and receive some instruction. You acknowledge the truth. He says, you'll be able to recover yourself out of the snare of the devil. I want you to remember him. I want you to recognize him. And I want you to resist him. As a church, would you resist him? You think he hates East River Baptist Church? He despises us. I don't mind being on his hit list. I just don't want to get hit. I don't want to go down except in humility. I want God to be able. The Bible says if we humble ourselves and submit ourselves to Him, not quench the Spirit, not grieve the Spirit, that God said, greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. And God has made me more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. And He's given me the armor of God that I might be able to stand and to withstand in this last days. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Cindy, would you come to the piano, please? I pray this morning that you would choose in your own heart to humble yourself before the Lord. Say, God, I don't want you to resist me. I don't want to be. I don't want to be on the wrong side with you. God, forgive me of my thoughts, the vanity of my heart. God, help me this morning to draw nigh to you, to submit myself to you, to yield myself to you. My desire is to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh, to glorify you and not myself, to be part of the solution at my church and not part of the problem at my church and my home. God, help me to be in my place in my home. As a man, help me to lead my family and feed my family and love my wife. And as a wife, Lord, help me to humble myself and submit myself to you first, Lord, and then to my man. And as a teenager, by the grace of God, humble yourself before God. Ask God to help you then to honor your parents. Father, I love you this morning. I fear you. I need you. I pray that you'll bless now in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed, may you obey the Holy Ghost right now, please.